Start here. Welcome to episode six. We've got special guest Grayson Bunning here. Welcome to the podcast. What's up, everyone? Pleasure to be on. It's about fucking time. It's all right. I swore already. Ah, it's all right. You know, we'll handle it in post. Um, but yeah, well, we finally got you on here, and it's a good time to get you on here because of your Arsenal fandom. They're having, I guess, it might. It's probably the best season, at least in recent memory for me. When was the last time Arsenal was this good? Mm, I think the last time we were good was like two thousand. 2006-ish. I could be wrong. Akram will probably flame me for not knowing the last time they were good exactly, but I think it was. it's definitely early 2000s, so we're approaching 20 years of us actually competing for the title. So this is unbelievable. And to be like conscious while it's happening, because I think if I was watching back then, I would have been like four or five years old and I wouldn't really have known what's going on. But to be like conscious for it is amazing. It's so cool to see that they're actually good for once. Yeah, it seems like they're on the, the Pistons timeline, like 20 years since they've been like you know relevant, and now both teams are kind of ascending right now. When did the Pistons last one? Like a title? Yeah. 2004. So oh, it's like, okay. Same timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I always like, as an Arsenal fan, the narrative was the same with Arsenal as it was with Michigan. Like they start off kind of like high expectations, like they were going to do well, but then like in big games they would get annihilated. Sure. And they just like weren't tough. So I always like drew that parallel, but it finally seems like Michigan and Arsenal have turned it on. Like finally started competing in big games for once. Yeah, so it's cool to like see that that change. Wow, that's unreal. Okay, there's all kind of ties to to the Michigan and you know U of M and, and Pistons Detroit sports narratives here. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, for those who don't know, Arsenal is an English soccer team that plays in the Premier League, right? Is that yep. pretty much what sums it up? English Premier League. Yeah, and then they also play in the Europa League right now too. Unfortunately, we are in the Europa League, which is the uh, second tier of the European competitions. You have to finish, for those who don't know, you have to finish in the top four spots in the Premier League to play in the Champions League, which is the best European competition. The Europa League is like one step down. So, theoretically, we should win the Europa League because, you know, if you're at the top of the Premier League, you should be competing for the Champions League title, not the Europa League title. But we'll, we'll make do with what we have. Is it like uh, like March Madness? You're like in the, in the whatever that other lower tier bracket is instead of the, like the primary one. Yeah, the difference in quality isn't quite as drastic, I okay. would say, because like if you finish, well, do do teams in March Madness ever drop down into the other tournament? Like during the, the tournament. Like if you, like play poorly in the first round, like you lose, no. you drop down. No, you're okay. just out. Yeah. Yeah, in the Champions League, if you finish third in your group so there's like a group stage and then it moves on to like knockout rounds if you finish third in your group you get dropped into the round of 16 of the Europa League oh wow that's kind of cool actually yeah, it's cool so the best of the worst can play the worst of the best yeah way. exactly yeah not bad they're just kind of cool alright well I've got some Arsenal stats ready for you here so in the Premier League in the table they're second in goal scored they're second in clean sheets which mm-hmm. for anybody who doesn't watch outside of American sports those are shutouts that's, they've done that four times in ten matches. And then uh, I guess the one qualifier, which I think Akram has honed on this as well, is that their best wins come against like those like seven to ten in the table, like the, kind of the, the mid-teams rather than like the best of the best. Mm. So I guess what does the eye test tell you, given the fact that they haven't played that many great teams yet so far, and how do you think they will fare when they start playing those teams more often? The eye test is passed with flying colors. They're playing like the best-looking footy I've ever seen, I think. Like... The previous, well, Arsene Wenger was the manager for 20 something years, and his sort of trademark was like 
he would instill in his teams like a beautiful style of playing. Like we weren't always winning when he was manager, but you could count on us to play like very eye-catching football, which is, you know, there's certain teams that like play very poorly and play in a very boring way. And even though they win, you just like can't watch them. But like Arsenal back then used to play like unbelievably like enjoyable footy to watch. And we're finally playing that again. And we're winning while doing it. So that combination is like, they're probably the most fun team to watch in the league. Like, I think if you polled Premier League fans and say, like, which is your favorite team to watch outside of your team, I think most people would say Arsenal. Interesting. But we've played Tottenham, who are third. We beat them handily 3-1. We've played United. We lost. But I don't think that game, you know, I don't think the results tell the full story. (laughs) Unfortunately. Ockram's shaking in his boots right now. Yeah. And we beat Liverpool fairly, fairly handily. I know there was some controversy there, but Liverpool just beat Man City. And so you think Liverpool, because their record doesn't have them at the top of the table, but they you think had a bad start. Okay. So they're they're, but we're still early in the season. So your league sure. position right now is not going to be the same as your league position in like February. Right. So Liverpool's position right now, Liverpool will probably finish top four, top five. They they have so much quality. There's no way they won't. And us beating them, that was a big accomplishment for us because Liverpool normally absolutely dominates us and like pulls our pants down. And Salah scores some crazy goal, and then we're like back to square one. But beating them was a big step for us. So, I don't know. I think when we play Man City, we'll definitely give them a run for their money. Because we did last year, and last year we were much worse than we are this year. So, Yeah. I guess, so I feel like there's been this shift in the era where you had um, you had kind of like those big name guys like Lacazette and Aubameyang. And even like Ozil, even though that was kind of a little farther back. And now you've shifted to this new team, which are mostly younger players who haven't had like a ton of long-term success yeah so and then it's also the coaching change where you now have Arteta who's the, the, the guy you had before so I think we had I'm trying to remember the exact I so we had Freddie Youngberg for like a few weeks who's like a former Arsenal legend but he was oh, just temporary right. and then we had Unai Emery for like two Emery. or three years yeah and that was a uh, that was a banter era as they say it was a poop shoot yeah, yeah so. so I guess well, well let's split that into two questions like what what has Arteta done I know there was that kind of like an equivalent to hard knocks for Arsenal this during the preseason or before the season started. What did you take away from that in terms of what his coaching style is and why it's contributed to kind of this revolution for the team? Yeah. Well, he's like instilled a very distinct culture into the team, which I always thought that was like hocus pocus when you hear like commentators talk about like the culture of a team. Yeah. But then you get to see something like hard knocks where you like see how the players interact with the coach and how they interact with each other and how they respond to wins and losses and things like that. And it's, like, very clear that the culture has changed a lot. So, like, if you watch the series, our best player for the past four years was was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He scored by far the most goals, won us trophies single-handedly, kept us above fucking 10th in the league single-handedly. And then he sort of just, like, him and Arteta just didn't get along that well. Or in, in addition to that, Aubameyang was, like, showing up late to trainings and things like that. I think he, like, requested some leave... To, I think at this point it was to go see his mom, who was sick at that time, but then he returned, like, three days late without warning or something like that, and Arteta just, like, made him train by himself, didn't allow him to, like, come into the locker room while the team was there, find him, like, a huge sum of money, benched him, even though he was our only goal scorer. Yeah. And, like, everybody was questioning that at the time, because we were playing so badly, and Aubameyang was, had been our best player, he was our captain, but Arteta, like, just put his foot down, and... 
despite that, we still played at relatively the same level we were playing with them. And I think that was like, you you got to have some cojones to do that. Yeah, you're risking your job when you do you're that. You're risking your job. He wasn't like he wasn't what he is now, where no. he's like beloved. Yeah, you know, he's a surefire, like has some some breathing room. There's been like Arteta out movements for years. Yeah, and that was like for some people who like loved Aubameyang, that was like the catalyst to like work even harder to get him out. Yeah, but he did that, and that, there was there was question marks at the time. Even I was questioning it because we were not scoring goals, and then to take our only goal scorer out of the team is crazy. But it worked, like. Everybody works hard. We don't have anybody in the team now who's like a selfish individual or like won't give 100% every game. So he's definitely instilled that culture where it's like, I won't take any nonsense here. Like, this is the hierarchy. And if you're not going to work like as hard as you possibly can for the team, then you're not going to play. Yeah. I think like, because I know you made the reference to hard knocks and that. So like Dan Gamble has kind of this like player relationship culture that he's instilled. And it hasn't led to wins because he doesn't have the requisite talent to do that. And then what you're talking about, Arteta has kind of this like definitive kind of rules that are in place that you kind of, it's like everything's about the team rather than yourself. Mm-hmm. But that is translating to wins because it seems like there is some talent on this roster. I, I, the biggest player that I was able to kind of take away from this is, is, it, is it Gabriel Jesus? Is that the right, right pronunciation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I found some stats for this guy. He's seventh in the Premier League with five goals. Mm-hmm. He's tied for fourth in the Premier League with, with three assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's two slots behind his teammate, um, Saka. Biako, is that how you pronounce his first name? Kai. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Wait, man. what did you say? I, I must have spelled his name wrong. I, I have B-U-Y-A-K-O. Biako. Okay. You, you, you switched the K and the Y. I mean, I have dyslexia, man. I also just can't speak either. Biako. <laughs> well, anyway... He, and the other thing with, with Jesus is that, like, I went back to it, because he played for United before? Or Man City? City before. Mm-hmm. And, like, his numbers are not what they are now. So he's, like, he's at this kind of, like, an, an outbreak year for him. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, like, you know, why is that happening for Arsenal? Yeah, well, at Man City, like, he's a striker by trade. And Man City has an abundance of talent. And for some reason, Pep Guardiola, who's Man City's manager, did not like to play with a striker. That was obviously pre-Erling Holland, who's the best striker in the world, and they have him now. But for some reason, they didn't play with a striker, and they didn't need to. Nobody's ever seen that before, but they literally just played with, like, six midfielders, and they, like, scored goals for fun. I don't know how it worked. Yeah. But they had, like, Jesus playing on the wing. He didn't play that much, or, like, as much as he plays for us. He starts every game for us and plays the full 90. But he was, like, playing left wing and stuff like that, so he wasn't in his best position. And he just wasn't in, like, goal-scoring positions as much. But I think, I mean, he still, he could score way more goals than he's scoring right now. Like, he's still, he's missing a lot of chances. But he's worked so hard. Like, we haven't had a striker that works that hard since, I don't even know. I don't know if we've ever had somebody that, like, that's hard of a worker. He's, like, in, in soccer, there's a lot of players whose, like, influence goes unnoticed. So, like... Roberto Firmino for Liverpool is a player like that. He's their striker, or like one of their strikers who doesn't score that many goals. But like, without them, without him and their team, there's like a noticeable difference. It's just kind of like an intangible thing. And Jesus is like that. So even like he's contributed goals, but like, I think his hard work has honestly been like more of an influence on the team than than his goal contributions. Yeah, sets an example. Especially, I feel like when you work that hard, it sets an example. With the fact that you're also statistically one of the best players on the team. Yeah, and coming from a team where he like won multiple titles in just a short few years, he's still really young. 
So having that much success that early for some players, it goes straight to their head. Yeah. But then he comes to Arsenal and he's just like working his ass off and like his interviews with the press too. He's just like, I'm here for the team. Like they try to bring up his individual accomplishments and he just like ignores it. Wow. Yeah. So he's just like, he's come and now he's just like grinding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that, really nice to see. That's really impressive for a player that's still that young, mm-hmm. still has that drive. Um, well, okay. I guess I'm going to shift a little bit here and just, I want to ask you about, so we've talked a lot about, you know, the Premier League, English soccer, but so you also used to play soccer, which I think is why you have so much of this love for the game. Dude, I, I Googled Grayson Bunning soccer. Oh, did you find my recruiting profile? I did. I found oh, your recruiting no. profile. This, dude, this, this guy, man, let me tell you. Oh, no. He had a whole huddle video with the little yellow circle highlighting. <laughs> I watched the whole, I, it, was, it was like two and a half minutes of pure filth. It's pretty short. Uh, that's because they only had, they didn't get all of the footage, okay? <laughs> Seriously. By the way, if anyone wants to listen, this is on ncsasports.org. And most of it, I think, were just really crisp passes. There was a filthy tackle on there. Oh, I know. It's what yeah, it was a disgusting about. tackle. So, Grand Haven away. Yeah, that's, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Yeah. And you, back when you had super long hair, it looked like. Yep. Yeah. They, I mean, as someone who doesn't really have a good understanding of soccer, it seemed. Did you play center back? Is that right? In high school, I played center mid. Center. Oh, center mid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I feel like, so, so people who are watching this video, like, where are all the goals, man? Uh-huh. Like, not everybody on the team. Like, Grayson's job wasn't... It, it, your job was kind of to, like, make crisp passes to get it to that side of the field, right? Right. You disrupt play and then just make clean passes to, like, start the attack. Yeah. yeah. Which I feel like that's so challenging when you're watching soccer if you're used to, like, American sports that are so numbers-driven mm-hmm. and appreciating, like, a good play that you can't, like, attach something to right. other than just the eye test. That's what I was... When you were talking about, like, Dan Campbell instituting a culture but they're not winning... Because yeah. American football is so much just athleticism dependent. Sure. Like, you could set your team up tactically just absolutely beautifully. Like, read every play, read the defense every single time. But I'm if you know if your receiver is more athletic than your corner, I'm sorry, you're done for. Yeah. You can institute all the culture you want, but it doesn't yeah. matter if that one on one is not going to work. Whereas in soccer, it's not nearly as much about the individual like athleticism of players. Yeah. People always say like. What if America's best athletes played soccer? Like, would we win the World Cup, like, very easily every year? And I just don't think so. Like, while I would say the U.S. probably has some of the best trained athletes in the world, like, soccer isn't about that. I mean, it is in some senses, but, like, if you look up, there's this guy who plays for Wolves. His name's Adama Traore. He's probably the fastest player in the Prem, probably also the strongest player in the Prem. Sucks ass. Really? Yeah. Barely even starts for Wolves, who are like near the sort of relegation zone. Fucking reeks. Yeah. Yeah. He's terrible. And it's just because he has no technical ability whatsoever. So you can be as athletic as you want. If your first, t- first touch sucks and the ball like bounces 10 yards away from you, somebody else is going to take that. They could be slow, fat, et cetera, et cetera, make a good pass, and then the other team's in a good position. That doesn't happen in American football. Yeah. So. I guess the closest comp would be baseball, where in the sense that your like pure athleticism, while helpful in a lot of capacity, it's not necessarily like the the baseline. Like that's kind oh, of yeah. the common denominator. Prince Fielder. Yeah, the prime the guy ate nachos during a game. Case in point. Oh, like I, that's really, I think we stopped the Tigers stopped paying him like two years ago. Do we have another fat guy? I mean, Cabrera could lose a couple. Cabrera's like. pretty chunky. I swear, there's another guy though. Maybe I'm confused. I don't know. Prince Fielder is a quintessential chunky guy, though. Yeah, I mean, he owned that title. Yeah. Chunkers. But something else I wanted to ask you about is just because you played soccer at, listen, I know you're not going to admit it, but like at a pretty like high level, you know? How does that change how you watch soccer versus how like I watch 
you know, football. Where because the thing that I, I notice is like when I watch football, basketball, everything. I'll, like many most fans, we you watch the ball. Whereas yeah. I feel like when you hear analysts on TV or like even players that are commentating the game, they'll tell you what a safety is doing with their footwork or, their, or what the offensive line that like they see penalties taking place. Mm-hmm. So my, my question, I guess, is how do you watch soccer? I, I mean, for the most part, I watch the ball. Like I have a hard time just like ignoring the sort of the ball for the sake of like tactically analyzing a game. But I feel like I have a better appreciation for the value of certain players. Like if you go on Twitter... And you just sort of like read a thread about like, you know, for example, this for the past couple of years, we've had a player called like Granit Xhaka. And like he's like renowned for his stupidity and his hot headedness because he just like very often, you know, would get sent off in big moments or just make a stupid challenge and like crunch time and, you know, give away a penalty. But like most people don't appreciate him. And I think if you ask a lot of players or like a lot of fans, you would they would say like oh yeah we could we should replace Granit Xhaka but like Granit Xhaka is probably our most important player and he's slow as hell pretty old but he's experienced and he's always in the right position to be able to break up play and sort of is always positioned well enough to like not get in any other player's way but also just such that like he's breaking up passing lanes I think when I watch I, I look a lot at like players positioning which is like on a soccer field where it's essentially just all grass and there's like very few lines, it's hard to like think about why positioning matters. But like if you ever played soccer and you're like the other team is attacking and you barely have the ball, it's like chess. Like everybody's moving around and if you don't time your movement perfectly, they're going to like split the gaps between you and stuff. So I think I watch a lot of like positioning, but it's harder to like articulate what that means. Yeah. It's not like, you know, football where everything I feel like comes down to some like technical definition yeah but well, it's just being in the right place at the right time and not screwing up exactly yeah some of it's intuitive and that's like sometimes you meet a soccer player and they're like dumb as a rock but like you watch them on the field and they're always in the right position yeah and some of it's just intuitive just like knowing where you should be at what time right so it's impressive man it's a skill that i uh, i do not possess especially when it comes to soccer well you got it for other sports though <sighs> i don't know but I will say I can appreciate the fact that like being able to that playing a sport gives you kind of like just an irreplaceable ability to like appreciate those little things. Yeah. For any sport, really. Right. Yeah. Because if you've played that position or like been in that moment, you know what it's like to like be in the position you're watching on the screen, which is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. You also, oh, go ahead. Like safeties in football. Yeah. That seems like the most challenging position ever. Yeah. Where should you be? How do you know where to be? Yeah. You're just like on your own back there. It's crazy. Yeah, I think you learn to like appreciate how challenging the most simple things can be. Like in, in tennis, like when like someone misses an overhead, it's like, oh, how'd you miss that? And if you like, if you let the ball get lower than like your peak point when you're going to hit an overhead, like you're probably going to miss it into the net. You uh-huh. know, and it's like, you know, you got to hit it at the right time. It's not just you know hit as hard as you can and it's all going to work out. So, yeah. yeah, appreciate the little things. I guess is our lesson mm-hmm. takeaway from so far. Um, okay, we'll transition a little bit. I, the cool thing about this episode, which and, you know we'll get Akram on here at some point too, but you and I are in a really similar position in that we're both in taking a gap year right now. Gap year. Which, if you, in case you guys didn't pick up the title thing, it's kind of like a play on words there. But <laughs> so you have a lot going on, and I guess what's it? Well, my first question is, what's it like being? Because you're an MCAT tutor, which is one of the things you're doing. Mm-hmm. What is it like being a tutor 
for something that we, we you and I both have spent so much time kind of preparing for that test. Yeah. How does it feel to kind of like give back in that way and kind of hone those skills that you, you accrued over time? Um, it's much harder than I anticipated, especially because so much of MCAT studying is just like repetition and practice. Like I feel like most people could succeed on that test. I mean, for people who don't know, MCAT is like seven plus hours, four sections, probably one of the more grueling, probably the most grueling like admissions test. Um, but it's so much just about practice. And if you don't have it, it's hard to instill it. Yeah. Like I thought it was all just going to be content knowledge. And, you know, once you teach somebody something, they're good to go. But you're like, it's more so about teaching them habits and, you know, you don't get enough time with them to like train them on new habits and things like that. Yeah. So a lot of it just feels to me. And maybe it's just because I'm lazy and not doing a very good job. <laughs> Part of it feels like, you know, like you meet the person on the first or second day and you can tell whether or not you're going to be successful with them. Yeah. Which is a little frustrating, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm still getting paid. <laughs> but you can try. I mean, it's just difficult because, yeah, I feel like that's happened with every student I've had so far. It's like you do one or two sessions with them. And it's like I could probably predict what you're going to score right now. Sure. And regardless of what I do. <laughs> and maybe they can, you know. Change fall short or supersede that by a couple of points here or there, but there's, there's not too many like surprise exceptions to that. No. Yeah. I, I think the surprises on that test are few and far between. Like I said, it's just about how long you study for yeah. and how much repetition you do. And I think there's diminishing returns after a certain amount of time of studying, but for the most part, it's just, you know, how much you practiced, how much you studied, how long you studied for. And yeah, I, I think to be honest, so much of it is just inherent that I've sort of come to realize and so yeah. much of it is innate that it's made me a little bit more pessimistic about like those sorts of tests that yeah. it's just like you either have it or you don't. Because it's as much an aptitude test as it is content based, you know, like yeah. you have to be able to read passages fast and like not every single thing is you pulling out some fact that you learned in, in you know, bio 171 your sophomore year of high school or exactly. college. Yeah. So much of it is like your just ability to sort of read things closely and carefully and you know to focus for that long is a challenge in and of yeah. itself like seven hours straight is you know most people kind of you know are pretty fatigued by the, the third or fourth hour so it's like can you remain focused and motivated past that time and you know that's a hard skill to learn like how do you train yourself to do that you just got to take practice exams over and over again yeah and there's not that many of them available they all cost money and that's the other thing I've learned is that this is not like a meritocracy whatsoever. Right. It's so much just about like how many resources can you buy? Yeah. And how much time can you afford to do this? Because some people can't afford to set aside six months to study. You've got to work. You know, everything you use to study for the MCAT, you pay for. The books, the tests, tutors, me. <laughs> yeah. Everything. It all costs money. It's all way overpriced. And if you don't have the funds, you're kind of screwed. So if you're in that, that position where you don't have the money, it's definitely you either have it or you don't. Right. You don't have the money to gain it. So, And then it's intensified by the fact that the MCAT is like, it's the one common denominator where everyone is kind of, like your score is your score. It's not like a GPA from one college is weighted differently than a GPA from a different college. Everybody takes, for, you know, sure the, the test varies from day to day, but your, it's normalized to the point where like your score is compared directly to someone's score who took it three years before you, three years after you, mm -hmm. at, in the early morning section or in the, the late afternoon section. Yeah. It's all supposed to be a level playing field. But that isn't necessarily the case. Definitely not the case. Yeah. It's it's been a little eye-opening to me. I think 
I don't know. I, I, it feels like to me that like your sort of ability to score highly on the MCAT is less important than medical schools seem to place into like they place more importance on that score than I think they should. Just because like, you know, I think your ability to score highly on a single test is probably not going to be predictive of your ability to stay like motivated and accountable to like be on time for like rotations and things like that. And, you know, like med school is, is kind of a marathon and I guess MCAT studying is a marathon too, but on a much shorter scale. So I don't know. I, I have doubts about whether or not it's like a very good aptitude test, but I don't know who am I to judge. Yeah. I mean, I guess until, until they find some other method to kind of give again that level playing field or get closer to a true level playing field, we're just going to have to yeah. Stick with what we have right now. And I'm sure the numbers show it's predictive. And I think they do show that it's predictive of yeah. success. So it's just sort of like the eye test for me. It's like, how does that work? But I guess it does. So Yeah. Well, I'm sure that the students still appreciate your help, man. I mean, regardless of how much you can hold their hand during it, you know, I'm sure you bring a lot to the table, at least from an expertise perspective. Oh, well, I don't know. I think about quitting soon. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather do like admissions counseling. Than MCAT degree. Yeah. yeah. I can see how they more intrinsically rewarding. I could have a lot more of an effect there. Sure. I would say. Because MCAT tutoring, I make somebody a schedule. You know, I meet with them to go over questions they have, you know, they've struggled with. You know, we, we talk about strategy and things like that. But it's hard to sort of hold their hand through that process. Whereas, like, admissions counseling, it's just like, send me your essay. And, you know, I'll, you know, I can offer a lot of advice here that's pretty tangible and can like make an immediate difference in the quality of your application. Yeah, you could change someone's personal statement such a in, in one night more than you can change their MCAT score exactly. in two months. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've become frustrated about is like it seems like no matter what I do, I'm not gonna be able to score somebody change somebody's score by more than like three or four points, which isn't that significant. I guess it is in some ways, but not really. But yeah, admissions like yeah, if you make somebody's personal statement like bad to good I mean that's going to significantly alter your ability to get into certain schools so yeah I'm thinking about maybe transitioning to that but we'll see if there's a need for that there's always a need for everything I feel like yeah. if you're if you're thinking about it and you think there might be a need I'm sure someone out there is probably asking for it yeah just got to find them yeah we'll see I think the company I tutor for has like admissions counseling stuff, so. Oh, that could be a seamless transition. Yeah, we'll see if they'll accept me. I'll uh, maybe I'll put in my transfer request to. Yeah. See if they'll take me. Well, good luck, man. Appreciate it. I guess because you're not just an MCAT tutor, you're, you're clinical research coordinator. You play wheelchair basketball at six in the morning. You uh, you're taking uh, sign language classes right now, so you're doing sign all language. these key cool things during your gap year. What would you say is like? the coolest thing that you've experienced thus far during the gap year yeah just in general and we will we'll leave unless this is maybe this isn't true outside of MCAT tutoring okay <laughs> because we've already yeah, I don't think it. I, I don't think that would get in the coolest category anyway <laughs> I had a feeling about that <laughs> um I would say probably the well I would say two things I think first of all the the sign language course has been really cool um the instructor for that course is, is she's so like such an interesting person she um, she's deaf but she signs primarily but she cusses a ton 
verbally or in sign verbally. language? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, every time she speaks. And so certain times in the class, she'll like start off by talking, give us a little introduction verbally. And then at some point, like probably, so it's an hour and a half class. And she, like about five to ten minutes in, she'll, she'll be like, okay, I can't hear you anymore. She'll turn her hearing aid off and put it, over, put it aside. So after that, she's completely deaf and you cannot speak with her. So then it's all signing. So it's, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, when she does have her hearing aid in, she just cusses a ton for whatever reason. Yeah. She always like tries to reassure us. Like, like, okay, it's fine if you turn your homework in late because I'm a nice bitch. <laughs> she, she, she's like, I'm a nice bitch. That's her catchphrase. I'm a nice bitch. Interesting. And she's like, she loves Michigan football, so she always talks about, like, who we're playing that weekend. She's like, we're going to fucking beat their asses. It's so <laughs> funny. In front of a, a class full of, like, polished med students, and they're all like, it's, their faces are so The funny. jaws drop, yeah. Yeah. So it's been really cool. But I feel like I picked it up pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's, it's been fun. Like, learning a new language is so fun. I forgot how enjoyable it was. Yeah. So I want to stick with it. Um, so that's been cool. But I think the other thing that's been fun is definitely, like, learning from the coach of the wheelchair basketball team. So I go to the practices sometimes if I wake up for it. Practices are at um, 6 a.m. So I think I'm, like, wah, two for five in terms of whether or not I've gotten up in time. That's pretty good. I don't think that's very good. <laughs> no. But, uh... So it's, she's, like, such a good coach in terms of, like, how she individualizes her coaching style to each player. And we've had, like, discussions about, like, how we should approach, like, teaching each player and stuff like that, which is just super fun. It's, like, psychoanalysis plus, like, sports and stuff, which yeah. I really enjoyed. So maybe maybe coaching in some capacities in my future. Although I don't have enough expertise in any one sport to, like, be qualified to do that. But maybe soccer, man. Maybe. We'll see. I've thought about that. But, no, that's been really cool, too. So I would say those are the two things. Yeah. Well, it's a good transition because I was going to ask you about, because what you're referencing with Coach Jessica on the wheelchair basketball team and just your involvement overall with the adaptive sports program at U of M, which has really ascended the last few years. So I wanted to ask you to just kind of explain what adaptive sports are, mm-hmm. what you, kind of your involvement has been with the program. And this might be hard for you because you, like, maybe it will be hard for you to like, admit this, but like, really like the true impact you've had to its, like it, tangible impact you've had to its ascension the last few years where it's gone really from like, bottom to to a really good place right now yeah so adaptive sports are sports that people can play with and without disabilities so that's like the definition we try to use because i think sometimes people would just say well adaptive sports means sports with people with disabilities but like we're trying to reframe it such that there's sports that anybody can play regardless of ability um what was the second part what was the like the mission of the program well just like what what is your what is the program all about and what is your involvement in? Yeah. So the the program is essentially about trying to create like equitable access to sport and fitness. Um, so whether that be at the university in sort of our surrounding community, um, we're trying to create like opportunities so that like you know everybody can play sports. So like if you think about you or I able bodied, so right now we could play we could do a whole host of things. We could go for a run. We could go find a basketball hoop and play. We could throw a football around, anything like that. If you're in a wheelchair and you're like, okay, I want to go be active, what are your options? Most of the time, nothing. You know, you can wheel around. What fun is that? You know, you can't play. Most, most like, basketball courts aren't accessible. You know, things like that. You know, you can't play certain sports at all. Most arenas of any kind are inaccessible. So there's few opportunities for people with disabilities to, like, be active in any capacity, which is, you know... 
that's if we're if we're talking about like social determinants of health, having zero access to opportunities to maintain your fitness is a big issue and can sure. lead to a lot of things downstream, whether that be like actual health outcomes or just sort of more like you know sort of the emotional repercussions of not having access to something that everybody else has access to and has a lot of fun doing. Yeah. So the mission is to try and create that access for both like high level athletes who want to play on like our varsity wheelchair tennis teams. Um, but you know, my like primary involvement is leading sort of the drop in sessions. So community members with and without disabilities who want to just come out and play wheelchair tennis for fun, just at like a low skill level. We're just there to hit around, but just be active and have fun. So kind of at all levels of competition we just want to provide that access and so that's what we've been working toward um but i guess my specific involvement and like the impact that i've had so like i said yeah i lead that sort of wheelchair tennis drop-in session so that's once a week and we just have community members come in if they want we send out flyers in a couple of different sort of areas and just anybody who wants to come can come try it out so um we have people with and without disabilities come and try it and i think you know, honestly, we've connected a lot of people with disabilities with the sport, but we've also connected a lot of people without disabilities with the sport, which I think opens a lot of people's eyes to sort of, you know, the value of having these opportunities and sort of, you know, how fun these sports actually are. I think people see wheelchairs and kind of get a little scared and nervous because they're not, you know, used to being around those sorts of things, but then they actually give it a go and, you know, see how hard it is to play wheelchair tennis, wheelchair basketball, and that's, I think, a catalyst for a lot of people to sort of pay more attention and, and get behind our mission. Um, so it's been cool being part of that. And I've done a lot of writing about the program uh, in the in the Michigan Daily. And that's been pretty cool too, to sort of raise awareness about the program, interview some of our athletes and their journeys to, to get where they are today. And so, yeah, I think my key involvements have been sort of introducing people to the sports, raising awareness about the issues we're, we're trying to tackle. And yeah, so I hope to stay involved next year we'll see I, I'm, that's something i'm kind of thinking about in terms of like where do i want to end up next year like do i want to leave this program or do i not so yeah we'll see but yeah it's been a lot of fun it's been like a real privilege to be involved i got involved at the right time yeah so that's awesome dude what a monologue you did not say um or any that was wow it's good. i've been grinding these med school interviews i yeah i'm training holy moly um but no, I mean, obviously, I feel like you have such like a, a diverse involvement that you do so many different things for the program. And the it's really paying dividends. I, cause, I mean, if you want to touch on like what happened with Good Morning America yesterday. Yeah. So the uh, director of the program, his name is Dr. Farron Miokanlami, probably the most charismatic person you'll ever meet. Um, so he founded the program essentially just by himself. So he got to Michigan as a faculty member and... You know, he was a former uh, Stanford track and field star and was on the cusp of running in the Olympics and then instead opted to go to medical school. So he went to medical school at the University of Michigan, matched into orthopedic surgery residency at Yale, and then had a spinal cord injury. Um, so he's now, you know, quadriplegic, but somehow managed to regain the ability to walk to a certain degree to use his hands, which is really rare for people with injuries that... Um, the level in the spine that, that his injury is at. Um, so he started the program because, you know, he wanted to continue playing sports, but there are just so few opportunities for him to do so. And so, you know, he's been instrumental in pretty much everything the program's done. And then, so kind of three years on from when he founded the program, he was recently surprised by uh, Robin Roberts and Good Morning America with a uh, 
a million dollar grant prize from a, uh, a spinal cord injury foundation called the Nielsen Foundation. So I got to be a part of that and, you know, see his reaction to the surprise and stuff like that. But yeah, he was just uh, recognized with a large sum of cash to hopefully continue doing what he's already been doing. Um, so that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I feel like he, he's really earned some, some national attention for the program. I've seen, like, around the university, like, advertisements for him giving talks. So he, he's really, he's created a, a massive reputation, not only for himself, but for the program. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, he's very deserving. And I, I, I think I've, I've met him, like, very briefly before. So, I, I mean, very, very, very cool person. And he's done a lot of great things. And you've been involved with a lot of those great things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, something that you touched on a little bit earlier, just talking about... <laughs> <laughs> um, that you touched on earlier with like with adaptive sports and that something that I've taken away just because so you've kind of introduced me to them a little bit I've played some wheelchair basketball wheelchair tennis is that like I feel like so often they're viewed as from the outside just as like inferior versions of the able-bodied counterparts yeah and I guess like what I've taken away and we've talked about this before like in wheelchair basketball we talked about this yesterday like being like really bulky in your upper body is being top heavy is, is extremely beneficial for the sport. Not only do you need a tremendous amount of arm strength to be able to shoot deep shots when you don't use any legs, it's all arm. Mm-hmm. But then the fact that like even for your, your where your center of gravity is being again being top heavy is really helpful for wheelchair basketball. Maybe not so much for able body basketball. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm getting at is like these sports require like different sets of skills, different body types to be the optimal position to succeed mm-hmm. than those other versions. Yeah. And I think it's hard sometimes to appreciate that, but it makes them truly a sport of their own. Yeah. Dr. O, I've always, he, he says this a lot and I've sort of integrated it into my own way of explaining what adaptive sports are. But so when you think of, of hockey, you think of immediately of the equipment that you need to play. So you think, okay, if I'm playing hockey, I need to wear skates. I need to have an ice hockey stick. So, People think of wheelchair basketball as like, you know, just a, uh, it's basketball with a wheelchair. But we're trying to sort of, you know, change the understanding or the way people perceive wheelchair basketball such that, okay, instead of seeing it as like a lesser version of basketball, it's a, it's its own individual sport. And to play wheelchair basketball, it requires a wheelchair, just as, you know, hockey requires ice skates. So it's a pretty simple, just like, you know, switch around. But when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So like, you know, in one of the tournaments we had recently, wheelchair basketball tournament, one of the best players at the tournament was an able-bodied player. So he's just a, you know, a player playing wheelchair basketball and he's in a wheelchair because that's the equipment that wheelchair basketball requires. Not because he has to be in the wheelchair or anything like it, because he just enjoys playing wheelchair basketball. Yeah. And it just happens to be primarily people with disabilities that play the sport. So it's like just that kind of switch around in terms of the way in which we view what adaptive sports are and what they stand for. You know, we want them to be seen as any other sport. It just requires a different piece of equipment. And when you tell people that, it seems to have an impact, and it's had an impact on me. So that's the way I've kind of been explaining it to people. Yeah, I I think that's so valuable. Even kind of dismissing the, this I guess, just wrong notion that it's just basketball with a wheelchair in the sense that, like, sure, the chair prevents you from, like, dunking for example right but it also it, it you're, there's so much more you can do with the chair for, like at least from what i've noticed and this could be wrong but like picks and screens in wheelchair basketball are so, like so I, they're so important <laughs> yeah and like if you if you blow by somebody it gets so hard to have that recovery yeah, speed it's recovering. over yeah. so like off ball movement and, and setting screens they're, they're like 
just hyper important in, in this sport more so than they are in regular basketball. Oh yeah, definitely. If you get out of position in wheelchair basketball, and you know the opponent's able to get between you and the basket, you're not recovering. You're not making up that position again. Yeah. It's it's so tactical. It's like I always say it's just like chess because your positioning is everything. Like, you know, in basketball, standing basketball, when you like get back on defense, everybody kind of trots back, takes up the position leisurely. Wheelchair basketball, when you make a bucket or the other team gets a rebound, you got to get your ass back to the other side of the court to get in your defensive formation. Sure. Because you got to assume that position and get between the other team and the basket. Because if you let them get down to the hoop first, you know, they're going to stop their wheelchair between you and the basket, get the ball, turn, the hoop's right there, and you're not getting in between them and the hoop. So it's really interesting, and it has, like, its own dynamics that are unique to wheelchair basketball, which is really cool. And I've enjoyed, like being able to like learn sort of the strategies behind a, an entirely new sport. Yeah, it's cool. This kind of mirrors what we were talking about earlier when you brought up soccer in the sense that it's not necessarily the most athletic person that's going to be the best at the sport. And exactly. That kind of differs from American sports. And in, in this sense, it's almost like, um, you know, uh, adaptive sports kind of differ from able-bodied sports in the sense that the athleticism is, of course, it's not going to be a, a purely even playing field there will be people who are more athletic and that will be beneficial yeah but it has so much less of an impact which allows the the strategy and tactics to become so much more important which is really cool Mm -hmm. yeah that's why i think like i must like gravitate towards these sports where like athleticism isn't everything um because yeah i really enjoy that sort of tactical element it makes you think a lot harder and like in the game you know you always have a chance you just have to outthink your opponent yeah which is really cool and i've enjoyed that element of it too yeah I'm sure that uh, you know that the tactical nature of the team hopefully will help them continue to ascend and they'll become like kind of a, a force to be reckoned with in the adaptive sports world. It'll be a little while. Most of, most of our team members are newbies to the sport, which sure. is okay. That's all uh, part of growing a new program. So uh, we got a little beating in our most recent tournament. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to probably get a similar beating in our upcoming tournament, but that's okay. She might make me play. I know. this. You guys heard it here first. Grayson, potential wheelchair basketball athlete. Like, we're not, I'm not talking like... Like legit athlete, like gets gets free merch. Okay? <laughs> we'll see. I would be so. Fun. We will see. That would be unreal. I don't want to take a spot from anybody. Oh like, sure. I don't, sure. don't want to take any playing time. But if I'm going to make a difference, then you could contribute on the court and off the court. I guess that's sort of me showing my own sort of uh, shortcomings in the way I perceive wheelchair basketball, and that I shouldn't look at it and like I'm taking playing time from somebody. It's like if you're better at wheelchair basketball than somebody else, you should be playing. Yeah. So, yeah, that that is really really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing the program continue to ascend and how you contribute to that. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna we'll, we'll do a really stark shift here. I feel like there's been some seamless transitions. There's no, we're gonna talk about Ted Lasso now. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Ted Lasso. Um, for those who don't know, Ted Lasso is uh, it's on Apple TV, and I I, I want to like legitimately explain about the show because I need everyone who's listening to watch this. Stream on Apple TV. Stars Jason Stakus. He's been we're the Millers. He is Horrible Losses franchise, he's on SNL, and he plays this like wholesome American football, former football coach who's hired to coach a struggling English soccer team, which is called AFC Richmond. And he doesn't know anything about soccer, he doesn't know jack about soccer, but he wins everyone over with his like relentless optimism and kindness. And the reason I wanted to get your take on this, so my cousin introduced me to the show and I loved it, and then you started watching the show and you've gotten through the first two seasons that are available and it seems like you love it too. Mm -hmm. And the show is really cool because it's not that much about the actual play of soccer as right. much as it is kind of soccer culture taking place in England. Because the show, mm-hmm. it takes place and is filmed 
in England. Yeah. So you're really familiar with English soccer, but also just like general English culture as well, mm -hmm. especially within the soccer realm. So can you talk about some of the ways that Ted Lasso gets that right and maybe some ways they get it wrong? Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think specifically about like certain elements I want to touch on. I, okay, so one thing they do get right, and they must have just sort of looked at existing English soccer players and were like, okay, this character is going to be modeled after this player. So Roy Kent is like this gruff, aging English midfielder, holding midfielder, which is like center defensive midfielder. Um, and he's just kind of a dick. All he cares about is football. <laughs> and like he doesn't play pretty football. He just makes, he works hard, makes, you know, rough tackles. Good and, fit for Arsenal. Just, yeah. yeah, right. And I think he's number six as well. Okay. Or number four. So like some of the quintessential CDM numbers as well. So they got the they got the player numbers right. Yeah. Which is kind of big. It's minute, but like if you saw a striker wearing like fifty seven, I'd be pissed. Sure. So Roy Kent number six, gruff old CDM. There's a an Irish CDM, a legend played in the Prem for many years for Manchester United, Roy Keane. Oh wow. Number okay. six. If you watch interviews of him, he is Roy Kent. They modeled Roy Kent off of Roy Keane. Wow. So that's I think that's that hilarious, so cool. yeah, and very funny because the Roy, whoever plays Roy Kent does a, like a very good job. You know, he was a writer on the show originally. I think he told me that, and that's he was hilarious. like, "I think I'm Roy Kent," and then he sent in an audition tape, and they went from there. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, because he does it perfectly. Yeah. Um, so Roy Kent is Roy Keane, and they've just modeled him off of Roy Keane's tendencies. We'll have to watch some interviews after this because it's funny. It's and it's same hairstyle. Same look, same gruff attitude, few words, do trick sort of thing. And, yeah. So they got that right, which I think is hilarious. The whole Jamie Tart thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I think Jamie Tart's supposed to be Jack Grealish. Okay. So he also played for Man City, because I know Jamie Tart's like on loan at AFC Richmond from Man City. Right. Um, same hairstyle. So in like the later seasons, they make him slick it back. Yeah. So he starts out with that like shitty spiky hairdo. Oh, it's egregious. Yeah. And then they headband slick back hair. You look at Jack Grealish, that's Jack Grealish. I think they tried to model him after him. Wow. Kind of like a dumbass English guy. Very like, all right, come on, babe. Yeah, like he's Jack Grealish. <laughs> and if you listen to Jack Grealish talk, that's how he talks. So I think he's Jack Grealish. So they like modeled it off of like certain players, or I think at least took heavy inspiration from certain players, which makes it funny. Because sure. if they got a lot of, like, those tendencies wrong, and, like, you know, even something as small as getting the numbers wrong would have pissed me off, I think. Yeah. But they got most of the things right, and they I think they worked really hard at that. Um, so they've, like, been able to appease, like, the English soccer fans, which I think was probably the group you're most at risk of, like, pissing off there. Yeah. So those are the two things that I, that I kind of picked out while watching. I was like, yeah, they got that right, I think. That is so, as someone who doesn't have a great understanding of English soccer, it makes me appreciate the show so much more. Because I, I love the show because I just revere the character of Ted. Yeah. Which I feel like, and that's fine, that's enough. Because you are Ted, man. They, they, they model Ted after you. I mean, he has way cooler catchphrases than I do. But, um, and I <laughs> oh, definitely uh, couldn't bake those biscuits. Walking in on your stepmother in a, <laughs> a swimsuit, no decahedron. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, I mean, the guy just has such a way with words, you he know? Does. And, yeah. And I love Jason Stakis in the first place, but what you're bringing up is it's such it's, it's again it's one of those little things that they do in TV where they, they get it right and it means so much to fans who are knowledgeable in that realm like you are. Mm -hmm. 
But I guess on my other side of this question is, and a lot of this is going to be for the sake of entertainment, that maybe they'll veer from reality. But what is something that Ted Lasso does, whether it's, I'm sure the way that management takes place for a soccer team is not accurate, but whether it be play on the field or how it kind of portrays like, you know, people watching a game in the bar with those three guys that they always follow. Yeah. Is there anything they get wrong? Um, I mean, it's just sort of like, they kind of lean into certain stereotypes like dudes in a pub watching footy, or like them, like every single person who sees Ted Lasso on the street, like Wanka. Yeah, that yeah. wouldn't happen. Sure. Like that, so, but they don't get anything egregiously wrong. It's just sort of like, you know, the nature of TV. You're gonna sort of lean into stereotypes and repeat certain things, and but that's fine. It's it's a little like, you know, it's just a short. It's a harmless TV show. So, yeah. but no, I mean, in terms of like ignorant misrepresentations I don't think they get anything wrong necessarily like I think most of it's really good like I can't think of anything that's bad yeah it could be a good thing again I'm sure that I don't even know if that would be possible for like someone to take over ownership of a soccer team and then well I don't want to spoil what the first season is about but yeah but no it wouldn't be possible yeah it would never happen yeah but that's fine that's like something you can like suspend your disbelief about and yeah that's the whole plot so whatever yeah, no, it's it's good. And the fact that they I mean, they must have spent a shit ton of money on that show to like show the likeness of existing Premier League clubs. Mm-hmm. Like Crystal Palace features, Man City features, West Ham features. Yeah. So probably gotta spend some money to be able to do that. It's so interesting because I I wonder if the show had a like a, an extremely large budget cuz I don't think they were cuz so the the show was kind of somewhat based off of they were doing an advertisement for the uh, the Premier League and Jason Stakis was playing similar character, former American football coach, translating to, to soccer, except he's kind of like more of a jerk and like a, like a you know American football kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And they they made this spinoff show solely based on that and just kind of made him more of a wholesome character. I, but I don't. It was not expected. To, I mean, the this, this show has won countless Emmys. It wasn't expected to be this huge commercial success. Yeah. So I wonder. I mean, because I agree with you. I mean, the, the amount of money it must have like Manchester City, Crystal Palace were like legit top-of-the-line Premier League team side. Yeah. That definitely wasn't for free. Yeah. What was the ad for? It, it was, I, it was honestly, I think, just to get people to watch maybe like Champions League or something like that. Interesting. I don't really know. There was a uh, character on YouTube a while ago, and it was... The, <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the U.S. had a coach for a long time, U.S. men's soccer team, Bob Bradley, and there was kind of like a Ted Lasso similar character on YouTube. Uh, and they called him Brad Bobbly. <laughs> so it's like, hey, I'm Brad Bobbly. So he's like <laughs> running through drills and stuff like that. And it was like English soccer players and the clueless Brad Bobbly American coach. Yeah. So that was like, that was on YouTube for a while. So when Ted Lasso came out, I wondered if it was like based off of that. Um, but yeah, so it was pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, definitely a big budget because, uh, you know, Man City is extremely wealthy. And I mean, Crystal Palace is a bit smaller of a club, but I also appreciate that they integrated those clubs at all. Yeah. Like it kind of puts things into context. So I've enjoyed that too. And the fact that like Jamie Tart was on loan at Man City specifically and stuff, I think that's so cool. Yeah. Like he was on loan at a club too. It's pretty like, you know, I don't know. They got into the fine details of like what it's like. Cause you know, can you imagine if they were like, you know, Jamie Tart was transferred to, or sorry, traded to AFC Richmond. Like, right. if they said that, like, one single sentence, 
That would have pissed me off. It diminishes the, the, the soccer credibility of the show. Exactly. But it wouldn't matter so much to people, like probably the majority of their audience who just watch it because like, you know, they, they love the plot and the, the characters and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it would have stopped me from watching. But that, it makes a difference, though. It does. It definitely makes a difference. Because that's a whole part of that show is getting the soccer part right. They've gotten the press right, too. Really? So, like, the English press is notorious for being, like, nosy little fucks. And, yeah. like, getting way too deep with sort of, like, the personal details of players' lives and stuff. Um, so, like, the, I think it was one of the first episodes. One of the reporters stands up. He's like, something, something. The Sun. And The Sun is, like, universally hated as, like, a newspaper outlet in... England, I think because they misrepresented what happened in like a tragic incident for a Liverpool game when like some absurd number of fans were like trampled to death. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the origin of it, but the sun is like continuously shitty to this day. So like he stands up and everybody in the, in the, in like the press room is like, oh. Yeah. So they got even that right. That is that's such like a nuanced thing that it's but it's like really really cool. Yeah. And he like asks very personal like dickhead questions and stuff too. Sure. So they got that right. That, I think that was the thing. I just remember that when I saw that I was like, "Oh, okay. They got it right." They're all in. Yeah. yeah. So that was pretty cool to see. And I love Trent Crew, man. Oh, Trent's the best. Yeah. Trent Crew. <laughs> the independent. <Yeah. laughs> that guy's a baller. He has a really cool character arc. There's so many cool characters. Pretty much every character is so dynamic. Yeah. Roy, Jamie, Ted. Uh, they all change. Yeah. Some for the better, some for the worse. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate for the worse? Oh, we're going to get to Nate. <laughs> we are going to get to Nate. Um, I quickly, I, I read something from Puck, which it's some like Hollywood kind of, I don't know what it is, but they tell you about news related to shows and stuff. And Sudeikis is a producer of the show now, and apparently he's like, Super meticulous about making season three, which many the, the the pretty much the consensus is that season three will be the final season. Yeah, which I'm glad I don't want it to go on too long. Right, kind of nasty of a show, but that's kind of what's contributing to this long wait between season two and season three. So, do you have any season three predictions? I have some some examples for you to kind of work off of. Love interest for Ted. We've seen a little inklings of that with uh, Stinky. With, oh no, that's not her. Oh, name. she calls she calls Rebecca <laughs> Stinky. Yeah, yeah. Is, what is her name? I it's been a while. Yeah, I don't know. We know, but if you if you watch, so you know what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, is there anything still going on? Uh, spoiler alert with Rebecca and Sam. Will that candle be relit? Oh, I forgot about that. What's next for Roy and Keeley? They're having uh, spoiler alert issues. Yeah. Uh, can we ever bring ourselves to like Nate again? And God, Nate makes me sick. Before we get into that, do you have any predictions for season three? Um, well, I think the other thing that they've done well is that AFC Richmond didn't come out and like win the Prem in their first season. Yeah, they got relegated. They got relegated, which I was like, thank fuck. Yeah. If they like came out and won the league with like an American manager, I mean, I probably could have suspended my disbelief, but at the same time, that would have been annoying. But the fact that they got relegated is perfect. And then, so now they're promoted. And I just quickly, to go off your point, what, so what's the league below Premier League when you get The relegated? championship. Okay, so, but they started off with like seven draws. Like, it's not like they dominated that one either. Like, it really stuck, made me feel like I was somewhat in reality, you know? Yeah, the championship season is longer than the Prem. There's more teams. I think there's 24. Okay. Um, so, it's, it's longer. And some people say it's harder because of that. Oh, interesting. So, okay. yeah. Um, but, yeah, predictions in terms of what AFC Richmond does, I hope they don't win the league again because that's not really feasible. That's never happened before. Sure. Um... And I think they could still make it like a feel good ending if they like finished t- 
top ten or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe they show like them in like Europa going far. Exactly, that would be cool. Like AFC Richmond European Adventure. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I can't. It's hard to say because I feel like it'll be hard to resist that like happy ending of them like winning the prem or something crazy. Sure. So we'll see. I'm interested to see what they do with that. I hope they stick to reality and they like finish like eleventh or something like that. Yeah. Um. Predict. I hope. So, Rebecca and what's his name again? Sam. Sam. The age gap is just. I don't know why they opted for that storyline. There's. I feel like there's no silver lining <laughs> there. That's just. I mean, I guess it caused controversy. So maybe that attracts people to it. Um, it'll, I don't know. Because, like, okay, so maybe see episode one or two of season three, they end it. Then what was the point? Yeah, it makes me think that maybe something will, will happen again in season three. But yeah. I do kind of like the, the way that they don't, it's like it's in your face but not excessively where they tackle some, like, not tackle, but they, they showcase some things that are big in society. Like the fact that Rebecca and Sam met on an online dating app where you don't get to see right. what a person looks like. That's big in society today. Uh-huh. With Ted, and again, spoiler alert, but you see a lot of, you know, this has been a big thing really in sports in general lately, where that mental health, the intersection between mental health and sports, about how, you know, athletes so often try to be these gladiators and they keep these walls up and try to make it seem like they're invincible. Mm-hmm. It turns out people are more, more vulnerable than we think. Yeah. I like the way the show does that in the sense that. They make it very clear what the message is saying. They don't make you think about it too much because right. at the end of the day, it's like a fun show. Yeah. But they don't, it doesn't feel like really forced and like they're lecturing me. Right. Yeah. I think it's like just subtle enough. There were a couple of points where I was like, all right, chill out a little bit. You're a little too on the nose here. Yeah. But no, I think they did a good job with it overall. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with their whole Rebecca thing. I hope it doesn't like, I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's not bad in any way. I don't think they're like, I, I'm curious as to whether or not they're actually like, you know, in the writing room, they're like, we're trying to push a message of like, this sort of thing is okay, which it is okay. I mean, they're, you know, both of legal age. I don't know. It's fine, but I don't know. So I'm curious as to whether or not they're doing that because they're trying to push a certain message or if they're just like doing it because it's interesting and like makes people like kind of shocked. Um, so we'll see. Roy and Keeley feel like they're going to break up. Keeley, Jamie back together. No. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Jamie's happen. growing on me, but come on. No, they've been pushing that hard. You think the... Yeah, there's been some... some Jamie came back, apologized, yeah, said he still hits her. Oh, yeah, it's geez. obvious. That's They're getting back together for sure. But, and that, but like, that's... that's you, Jamie be crossing a line for Roy. Like Their, like, eh, relationship would be in the toilet at that point. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I feel like there's going to be some big arc with like Roy being a nice guy in the end and like under, understanding. Probably. It, it seems like we're destined for that. Mm-hmm. But his relationship with his niece is my favorite. I think. Oh, it's so funny. That's, my, that's the best dynamic in the He just show. curses in front of her all yeah. the time. Yeah. It's like, Roy, you swear all the time. It's like, ah, fuck off. <laughs> well, you know what that just made me realize, by the way? When there was a little... little well, I guess it wasn't really something, but between Roy and her teacher. Right. That was they, another hint. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe they're just trying to showcase, like, people like people in a relationship being honest with each other. Uh, yeah, that was another really cool thing. Roy told Keely, like, I could have left with that teacher, but I stayed, because I don't know why I stayed. Yeah. 
So yeah, maybe they're trying to just push the point across that like relationships aren't perfect. Yeah. And those things happen. Um, but that would be pretty nuanced, and I'm not sure how many people would really take sure. that away. Sure. And I know, you know, being nuanced doesn't pay the bills. So. No. No, it does not. So, yeah. We'll see. I, I, I have a feeling they'll split. Maybe they'll get back together. But I feel like, no. The drama necessitates them splitting. Yeah. So, we'll see. Uh, I hope Nate fucking dies. We <laughs> <laughs> gets kicked in the head. He's a prick, man. I, I, well... I've never I, hated a character more. I, I... I'm so glad you said that. I feel the exact same way. I've, I've watched a lot of movies and TV shows in my day. I've, like, I don't know, I'm going to bring up some examples in a minute of terrible human beings. None of which I hate more than Nate. I know. And you go back to season one, he was never nice. No. Ever. He was a big turd the whole time. <laughs> he didn't appreciate anything Ted does for him. And I, I don't care. They're going to season three. They're going to try to make you like him again. Uh, we, uh, I kept our receipts. Okay? Yeah, they got to resolve that, right? They got to resolve his well, character. And Ted will be, you know, be the forgiving Ted, which is the one thing I don't like about Ted is he's so forgiving. But I'm sorry. I, I hate him. I hate him so much. I just, I have, <laughs> I have like a, a, a visceral. <laughs> Hatred for him, I yeah. can't like man. That actor's career is over. He's 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 a villain for the rest of his career. I know. I'll never look at him the same way. I know. Well, his that might be one of the most well done character arcs ever. Though. He's so good at it. Yeah. He's so good at it. Yeah. He started out as for people who don't know Nate. So when Ted Lasso gets to the club, the club I should say team. <laughs> so our to, audience, you know, when Ted Lasso gets to AFC Richmond. Um, Nate is sort of like the kit man, which just means like he handles like all the jerseys. An equipment manager guy. Yeah, the towel boy manager. Thanks for the uh, American translation. So he's he's the the equipment manager, and Ted Lasso, being the nice guy he is, like welcomes him in and like gets to know him and like welcomes his opinion on like tactics and stuff like that. So Nate like eventually gets a big head, and then sort of forgets where he came from and. I think he, um, what happens again? He, like, makes some big call at the end of some game that mm-hmm. ends up winning AFC Richmond the game, and that, like, inflates his head to the point of bursting, and yeah. now he's been appointed, I, I assume, manager of West Ham. Which is the team owned by Rebecca's ex-husband. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's juicy. Yeah. It the plot juicy. thickens. Yeah. So, so Nate will probably, like, have some success... My prediction right now is that like AFC Richmond West Ham final game of the season, it's significant. Oh, this could be it. So this is how they could sort of walk the line between not an unrealistically happy ending or like happy ending but not being unrealistic. So AFC Richmond finish mid table, but like West Ham are about to win the league. Oh, I see. Yeah. So AFC Richmond beat West Ham at the death. Danny Rojas, top bins. Danny Rojas, great character. Football yeah. in his life. Football in his life, yeah. So, okay, yeah. AC Richmond are going to score against West Ham, like 90th minute. West Ham not going to win the league. Yeah, play spoiler. Write it. Write it. Guys. Book it. Oh, that was actually unreal. Yeah. That's, that's a happen. really good prediction. That would be perfect. Yeah. So that would that would toe the line. So then oh. AC Richmond aren't winning the league. That would be so awesome. But Nate gets resolved. AC yeah. Richmond happy ending resolved. Ted Lasso resolved from like you know redemption from relegation. Yeah, I think that's it. That sounds about right to me. Book it. Hold it. I, I'm t- Please, we're recording this on October twenty first, two thousand and twenty two. If this this prediction comes to fruition, 
Somebody's sending this guy a check. All right. <laughs> yeah, I need some royalties. Seriously, okay? I wrote the end. What if they just use it? I mean, Jason Sudeikis gets word of this. Jason Sudeikis, if you're listening, man, we're big fans. Call me. I got some ideas. <laughs> well, I'm, okay. I quickly want to return to the, the Nate hatred. The Nate-trid, yep. as some might call Nate-trid. it. I, I just came up with that actually. <laughs> <laughs> <Nate-trid>. <laughs> I, I went back. To some, oh, I, to my, I went to my, the whole list of, I keep the list track of most of the movies I see and found the characters that I hate the most. Mm-hmm. And I tried to stack them up against Nate. So we're going to do a little exercise here. Okay. And some of them you might not have seen this movie before, so I'll describe the character. Have you seen Titanic? No. Okay. Well, there's a character named Cal Hockley. Mm-hmm. He's just absolute D-bag. From, from, he's from the Titanic. He frames Jack, Leo DiCaprio's character, okay. for theft. And he actually uses an abandoned child on the Titanic while it's sinking to try and steal a spot on one of the lifeboats. He tries to keep, kill Jack and Rose, the, the two main characters in the show. He's a terrible human being. He's got the look and the voice and the persona mm-hmm. of like the, the rich, snotty guy. Yeah. He, he does. He's, his acting is great in it. He, he's the worst. Everybody hates this guy. Uh-huh. I hate Nate more. Okay. Is he bad from the get-go? Ter- yeah, whole time. That, that's got to be the thing, man. Yeah. Nate starts off as like kind of just quiet. And then he's like given a bunch of things, and then he like turns evil as a result of that, which I feel like is why he's so hated. Yeah, because they they it it hurts your soul. Yeah, they you make give you it to him. him. Yeah, you make you believe in him. You kind of start to like him, but then it goes to his head. So. Yeah. Okay, we've got we're gonna have some some uh, some repeating guys who are bad from the jump in these these movies that I went back to. Percy Wetmore from the Green Mile. You haven't seen the Green Mile, right? Mm-mm. So this is a guy who works on death row. This movie starring Tom Hanks and, and the late uh, Michael Clark Duncan, and he's he's like a legitimately sadistic character. He harasses the prisoners and he sabotages an execution, where it's the electric chair. He doesn't. There's something you're supposed to make sure is moist, and he intentionally prevents it from being moist, and it makes the execution, which is already of course horrendously painful, mm-hmm. like unbearable to even watch, and he does it on purpose, and and he's like the warden's son. And he, long story short, he's a horrific human being. I think I hate Nate more. So he's just a sadist. Yeah. So he's like psychologically deranged. But they, they, they do it in a way where it, it, he, it's just like, like he's horrified by the, the execution. So yeah. it's almost like there's a little bit of humanity inside of him where it, make, it, it gives him less rationale for his behavior. Okay. Wait, so he, so he makes it more painful intentionally? But once he sees the actual impact of that... You, like the look on his face, like he he's like he just does it once. He does that once, but he harasses the prisoners throughout the whole movie. He's a terror. Like he, some guy is like a pet rat, the prisoner, and he, he steps on it, and like right in front of the guy, and you know, go back to your cell. Yeah, rest it, in peace. Seriously, it, I mean, he, he's horrible. Okay, I hate Nate more. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we can keep going on the list here. We got Ward Norton from Shawshank Redemption, Christoph Waltz from Inglorious Bastards. Okay, know both of them. Terrible. Nurse Ratchet of One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Schoenberg Gavin of Happy Gilmore. Yeah. I'm not, seriously, that guy, when he told Happy to meet him at the ninth green at nine and the sprinklers went off, what a jerk, man. It's just, I think it's the betrayal. Nate's yeah. betrayal of us. Yeah. Because he starts off as a good guy. He's joining this bandwagon where we're all rooting for Ted Lasso. And you also have like the sort of parallel or like the contrast between Ted Lasso, who's like forgiving, will sort of give and give and give regardless of how much of a dick anybody else is being to him and then Nate profits off of his success and then betrays him yeah that's nuts that's Man. that's worse than any sadist that's worse than somebody who's bad from start to finish 
It's the betrayal, I think. It's the it's the rise and the steep fall. Exactly. Yeah. It's the betrayal of Nate. That's that's why nature is so strong. God, it makes me so sick, man. Um, I'm gonna throw a couple more out here just for fun. I, Megan from Drake and Josh, she's terrible. Megan. Like I, I like Megan. Like she's a fun character, but she is so cruel to them. What about Candace? From Phineas <laughs> Yeah, she's just anti-fun. She sucks. What is her issue, man? She sucks. Uh, another Drake and Josh character, Bruce Winchell. Remember that guy? He's like the other news reporter guy. Oh, his last name is Winchell. Yeah, I know. I think that, well, it's, it's like Winchell or something. Oh, <laughs> my God, so man. I just, I, I, they never show him, and he's not actually a bad person, but it's, he makes Walter so bad on the show. Uh, and then I think, let's see, Syndrome from The Incredibles. Like, get a life, man. Seriously, that guy is just like what a Why loser. Why is his name Syndrome? I don't know. <laughs> that's that's gotta be like offensive. Oh Syndrome? yeah. Syndrome? Oh my god. Yeah, that's that is terrible. I never actually realized that. Syndrome. That's uh, one of the goat character names, man. And he's all, but he, he's just like, like, he's just a loser. Is he the one with red hair? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then you know we got Drew Barry's more his boyfriend in the Wedding Singer Adam Sandler movie. He's just, he guy he cheats and he's like he's another guy jerk from the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life is also a very bad dude. Mm-hmm. Um, any additions on your end for? And these can be people who are bad to, from start to finish or those guys who kind of show us that betrayal. Oh, we got Candace for sure, no doubt. Yeah, Candace. Did. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, oh man. Uh, okay. Anybody watching Game of Thrones? Oh, sorry, House of the Dragon. Uh, Queen Alison Hightower. She's like obsessed with tradition, and is like therefore trying to sabotage Queen Rhaenyra's claim to the throne. So like Queen, or sorry, yeah, not Queen Rhaenyra, Prince S. Rhaenyra, who like, you know, had some fun in her adolescence. You know, you know, fucked around. She was forced to marry a guy who's actually gay. Okay. Because, you know, that's, like, what people did back then. Like, you marry people from other famous houses to, like, maintain alliances. So she married this guy who's actually gay. So they have, like, an agreement that they can, like, have sex with other people based on their preferences. So her kids... So this guy who's gay is actually black. All of her neighbor's kids are white. But she tries to pass them off as, like, these are our kids. But they're not. So then Allison's, like, trying to sabotage her claim to the throne based on, like... You need to be committed to tradition and all that. So, yeah, I think most people people who watch this show would know she's she's the woke. Um, fucking Ozark. What's the cousin's name, or the the nephew, of uh, the cartel leader? Oh, I forgot what his name is too. Oh, he's a menace. He's terrible. I didn't. I just, I still didn't finish that show, but I know who I saw it. Like right when I saw. You didn't it. finish? No, I I'm oh, still. So like, I can't. Talk about it. Uh, and you don't know what happens. No. I, I'm still oh. in the first half of season four. Damn. Because it gets worse. Your hatred film will grow substantially. Yeah. I mean, he's just like sabotaging everything that Marty's doing. What's his name? Starts with an R, I feel like. We're going to yeah. look it up, guys. We'll edit, we'll edit this part out and post. Yeah. I can't remember his name. He's a... He's oh, a, I, I got it. What is it? Javi? Javi. Yeah. Fuck. Javi's a villain. Look at this guy. What a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. He's a jerk who kills people. Um, other villains. That might be it for me. I don't watch that many TV shows or movies or anything like that. So those are the ones that really stick with me as being terrible. 
Yeah, it's hard. I mean, because most of them, it's oh, that person's a jerk, you know. Yeah. Or like you truly hate them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But no, I think that's it in terms of people that I really, really hate: Javi, Candice, um, and Nate. That's probably it. Nate has, he also just has no redeeming qualities, other than like except that he fucking shot his shot with Keeley. Oh yeah, that, that, that was, was impressive. That was bad arse. Yeah, respect to Nate for that one. I do respect it. He also has a pretty satisfying accent. I enjoy listening to him talk. Yeah, I, I like he has a very soothing voice. But like, mm-hmm. there's just, like even like the, the innocence components of him, or like that his dad is really mean to him. Yeah, he deserves that. Yeah, in I, retrospect, he deserves that. That and times a million, he is the worst. Well, he probably doesn't deserve that. That's probably they're gonna like frame that as like the reason for him being a dick or something like that. Oh, I'm sorry. There is no when he tore up. The believe sign. Oh. That was it for me. That's 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 evil. Oh yeah. That's that, evil. That is pure evil. That makes me second side. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm just gonna take some pictures. <laughs> take some pictures of Nate. <laughs> Imagine Ted just walks up to Nate. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I was not familiar. <laughs> yeah, West Ham's gonna win the league and then he's gonna pull up with the shack quote. Yeah. I apologize. I was not familiar with your game. I get to see that where that quote came from. I've never seen like the original. Uh, it's where so you know the TNT crew like Shaq, Kenny, yeah, yeah. and Chuck. They're talking about it's when Christian Wood first got to Houston last year, and like in the one of the first few games where he dropped because no one know, he was on the Pistons, and no one knew about him. He's like this really talented big man. He, he had like a really good stat line. And Shaq only watches like the star players. Like, he has no idea who half the league is. Okay, and so that he was literally like. Christian Wood, I apologize. I was not familiar with your game because he loves he loves seeing like big men succeed. You know, uh-huh. and I, there's I guarantee you, Shaq had never heard of Christian Wood before that. That's so funny. So it, I think that's the the origin story. That that's the best crew in sports. I think. Oh, there and they just signed big extensions too. Really? Yeah. Yes. Because I thought Chuck was going to retire. They're so good. Like I think the one the the perfect example of this is. It's the two ends of kind of the same joke where they're always kind of making fun of Kenny. Yeah. And Kenny always tries to attach himself to the success Hakeem Olajuwon had because they played on the Rockets together. Uh-huh. And so Kenny, all one time on the show, was like, you know, Hakeem told me something once. And then Chuck buzz <laughs> in and says, Kenny, go bring me some water. <laughs> oh, no. And then, you know, of course, Shaq loses it. And then last night, Chuck is saying something, and I think it's about Greg Popovich. Uh-huh. And then he's like, you know, Greg Popovich told me something. And Kenny jumps in and says, stop eating. And oh, it, you know, no. Chuck is a little heavy set. Yeah. And it's just like that, the banter, the full circle nature of that, the, uh-huh. the long-running jokes, like with Charles Barkley talking about the women in San Antonio. I mean, Shaq laughing at what Chuck says. They're Them arguing. Uh, Shaq telling Chuck he doesn't want to about basketball because he doesn't want a championship. And then uh-huh. Chuck proceeding to say that Shaq rode the coattails of Kobe and D Wade. I mean, there's, it, it's just, and then Ernie's just trying to find a way to get a show out of all of this. Uh huh. It's so good. That it's so funny. I wonder what Ernie's thought process is throughout it. Yeah, because he's so. I've watched like some, some interviews with Ernie. He is so prepared going in. Really? Yeah. I mean, so, he, he's pretty much just managing all their egos. I envision Ernie as similar to like you in like a situation <laughs> where like me, Akram, and Yusuf are like fucking around. <laughs> yeah. You're like Ernie we're, when we're like going off in a public place or something like yeah. that. Uh, one bow tie away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I love that guy though. He's He does a good job of keeping the show on track miraculously somehow. But he also knows when to let them run. Cause exactly. Because that's the, like, what makes the show great. Right. 
I love how they always do the thing where they like race each other to the, yeah. the touch board. <laughs> That's so funny. And they also like they they don't take themselves seriously, like because a lot of times what they'll do is they'll do post game and they'll cover the highlights from earlier that night. Mm-hmm. And Chuck literally say, "Please don't show these highlights. These teams stink." <laughs> and it's just like, and they, they, they're contractually required to show the highlights on TNT. Uh-huh. Like, they have to show that. Yeah. Chuck's like, please, I don't want to watch these. Uh-huh. It's, so it's just, they're so authentic and real. Did you see the one where they gave, I think, I don't know if it was, they gave it to Shaq or Charles, like a smoothie, but it had like sunscreen and like lotion in it. <laughs> I, I feel like I vaguely remember this. I oh, forget which one of them drank God. it. God, it's repulsive. Oh, it's probably Chuck. I think they... No, I swear they give it to Shaq. They give it to Shaq? Okay. Yeah. And they make it for him, and he drinks it. He's like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then they tell him, and he, like, chases him around. It's so <laughs> funny, man. You see the one where Shaq eats the really hot chip? Uh-uh. Oh, so they they're, they somehow have, like... It's, like, the hottest chip in the world. And, uh... <laughs> Why is it on the show? Because that's just what they do, man. I don't know. And, and Shaq's like, I'll bet you I eat it more than face. <laughs> you know? And so they're like, all right, eat it. And then so he takes one bite. He's like, you almost not know what fraternity I'm in. Tell him that. Omega sci-fi. Till I die. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. But then at one point he's just like, ah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I didn't make a face. I didn't make a face. He's like, anybody got some milk? Because <laughs> he's just losing his mind. That is so funny. I mean, one time they called Shaq uh, Shrek. <laughs> and Ernie called him Shrek. Like on accident? No, like Ernie like was making like kind of messing with him. And then Shrek like, took off his glasses. He's like, and Ernie like immediately got up and ran away. And everyone lost it on the whole set. And they oh produce such God. great television. They're so funny, man. Yeah, that's. I think it's just luck that they got like the perfect crew. It's just like the, synergy. Even Kenny, who people he gets on people's nerves sometimes. It's yeah. the perfect ensemble. Kenny's a little noob. Yeah, but you kind of need that. As like he's the butt of most of the jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, he kind of has like the yin to the yang of Shaq and Chuck. Exactly. So, yeah, they do it right, man. Yeah, they, they put out great content. Yeah, no, he's hilarious, man. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's pretty much all I've got so far. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you just giving a lot of information, and we covered a wide array of topics. I think you opened my mind to appreciating more of Ted Lasso, appreciating more of soccer, adaptive sports, sign language, uh, people who teach sign language, cursing, the value there. I mean. Yeah. I learned a lot today, and I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, mm-hmm. this is a ton of fun. I'll have to do it again sometime. That was fun. That was, uh, I got to say, when I got here, I was not in a talking mood, but I uh, got a couple of beers down the hatch, and, you know, we started talking. We have a charismatic host, which, which can never hurt. <laughs> so, uh, no, it was a pleasure. Hopefully, we can be back someday for a group episode, because uh, I feel like that'd be fun. That would be incredible. We're definitely going to make that happen. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. But it was a pleasure. Um... I don't have any closing words. I wish I had a cool catchphrase, but uh, fuck Nate. I was just going to say, Nate, you're the worst. That was going to be my closing. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. All right, guys, please go watch that lasso so you can learn why to hate Nate just like us. And uh, and we'll see you guys next time. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> it still didn't work? Where's, oh, here's the stop button. Yes.